0: Hello, hello! We are back. Episode ten, double-digit episodes. Episode ten of the Bentley Show. I am, in fact, your host, Scott Bentley. Uh, not a, not as eventful of the last two days as our as our bridge in between eight and nine. Obviously, the Blake Griffin news was was big, so that kind of uh, kind of trumps all. For, for lack of a better term, but um, definitely still some stuff to talk about. We got the Tigers. Uh, AJ Hinch gave a great interview about um, the bullpen and specifically Buck Farmer and Michael Fulmer. So we'll kind of talk about those two. And then there was a report this morning that the uh, the Detroit Tigers front office, as well as uh are, as well as the Detroit Tigers front office, is in contact with Rick Porcello and his agent. So we'll talk about. That possible reunion. Um, Then the Pistons played the Chicago Bulls a couple of nights ago. We're going to go over that game. And All-Star voting was released. So we'll go over uh, the one and only Jeremy Grant where he falls on that. Then the Detroit Red Wings played the – we played a lot of Chicago this week. Played the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, It was a really ugly game. So we will go over the really ugly game that was that game. Uh, and possible, not possible, but, but you know, bright spot, the roses and thorns, good things and bad things to take away from the game. And then for the Detroit lions, we're going to talk about the Carson Wentz trade. Marvin Jones, uh, released a statement today and Kenny Galladay rumors. All right. Thank you for listening so much. This is The Bentley Show. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Let's get right into it. The Detroit Tigers, the Detroit Baseball Tigers. Uh, spring training, almost in full swing. We got pitchers and catchers and everything. We got video of dudes throwing bullpen sessions and, and long toss and stuff. And it's beautiful. Uh, I, I need baseball back more than anything. Um, so it, the the cool thing, A, it's just always cool when baseball's almost back that's just always fun um but one of the really cool things is is you can already tell how good of a manager AJ Hinch is he is an exceptional manager He is unbelievably good at his job and you're already seeing that just a couple of days in um but he gave a he gave a lengthy interview uh well lengthy lengthy for for spring training Zoom press conferences, I guess, as lengthy as those can be. It was like six or seven minutes long when he talked about Buck Farmer and Michael Fulmer's roles on the team. okay. So for Buck Farmer, uh, he, he seems to love Buck, which is cool. Buck Farmer is the second longest tenured player on the team, only behind Miggy. Um, also, his flow and his beard right now is, is on another level. Truly. It's, it's, it's up there with, with some of the best in the league there. Uh, there's a video of him <laughs> grabbing his hair and his beard and going, I got the longest hair on the team, the longest beard on the team. I really just let myself go this off season. <laughs> um, but it looks fantastic. I, I love the look. Um, so the interesting thing with him is his last two years have been solid. His last two years have been really solid. Um, and really, he, he blossomed into that, that solid level of play when he his role was defined. One inning, mid-relief guy, not going to be the ninth-inning guy. Um, probably not going to be your first out of the pen either, though. You know, they, they he was a starter when he first came up, was not good. Then he tried to do, like, the long-relief thing like Norris has, has kind of been filling into. Wasn't great. Uh so then they really just the previous regime really just pushed him into like you're going to be like the seventh or eighth inning guy. And he's done really well in that role. Uh Hinch does not define Hinch is like he he's he's talking as if he's he's like that that significant other that you're like, "Hey, what are we?" And he's like, "I don't like to define stuff." You know what I mean? That's that's the kind of person that Hinch Seems like he is what he talks about these players. He doesn't want to define anyone's role. He's like, I don't know. I want him to be versatile. He he. A drink, fun drinking game would be drink every time AJ Hinch says versatile in a in a press conference. You'd be hammered. Like quick, you want a quick way to get messed up? There you go. You're welcome. Um. But he seems to love Buck, man. He, he seems to love the, like I said, the versatility that he brings to the table. Um, and he also seems to be a, he talked about his role and, and the, the media really wants him to define roles because we're obsessed with that in today's world, defining everything. Um, and he won't do it. But he did say that, uh, one of the situations where he, he could really see him blossom is the uh, being a guy that comes in and finishes off one inning and then pitches the entirety of the following inning. So he he's thinking Buck can be like a 30-ish pitch kind of reliever where he comes in, gets the last out, of the seventh and then pitches the entirety of the eighth or comes in and even gets the last two outs of like the sixth and then the entirety of the seventh. You know what I mean? Um, he he says he really likes his versatility. He likes how he pitches. He thinks that his style of pitching, uh, is really good for a bullpen arm, but also is, um, it's not like that overpowering. You're throwing 102 miles an hour. So you can only throw 12 pitches, like he he, he's, he is a former starter, and um, he, he thinks that he can be stretched out into not necessarily like two or three full inning kind of role like Daniel Norris or anything like that, but he thinks he can be stretched out into like an inning and a half kind of guy, which which is which is awesome to hear. Um, and like I said, Buck's been been really solid the last couple of seasons, really solid, sub four ERA, but each of the last two years. I, I love it, uh, and I I love hearing guys that may not be talked about on like a, a mass media level that the new manager comes in and says, yeah, like none of you guys are talking about it, but this dude's good. You know what I mean? That, that's nice to hear. That's really nice to hear. So um, I really like that. Uh, that. That's all sounds great. The other thing he talked about in the interview was Michael Fulmer. Um, here's the thing with Fulmer. People talked about, is, is he ever going to be an everyday starter again? You know What's his status? How's he throwing? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, for starters, Hinge said that Fulmer is going to get one of the first starts of spring. They, he said that they want to see where he's at immediately. They want to hit the ground running and build off whatever he gives them. He doesn't want to mess around and waste time. He, he's going to get one of the, like the, one of the first games, maybe even the first game of spring training, Michael Fulmer is going to start. So that's nice. Um, that's, that's cool. Um, the, the thing with him and Hinch, Hinch said the same thing that I'm about to say. Um, it's all about velocity. It's all about velocity with him. He, he still has the same grips and the same repertoire as if he was throwing, you know, upper nineties. Like he was pre Tommy John. That's not what he's throwing these days. (laughs) I hate to break it to you. Sadly, he's not hitting that anymore. He's barely hitting 90. Um, at least he did in 2020. He was barely hitting 90. You, when you have the same grips and you don't change any of your grips or how you throw any of your pitches, but your velocity goes down almost 10 miles an hour, stuff's not going to bite like you're used to. The slider hangs now because he doesn't throw it as hard. But he 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 prepares as if he's still throwing. He he sets up and pitches as if he's still throwing 97. But he's throwing 90. So all the all the off speed stuff hangs and the fastball is flat and doesn't move and is slow. So obviously, problem. Right? Um So Hinch talked about how he is, uh, Fulmer's in a situation where, like I said, a, he's going to hit the ground running, uh, and he's going to be one of the first starts that they can see where he's at. But he said that, um, last, last year may not have been a great indication of where he's actually at, um. Because most people rehab in the minors and then come back up kind of when they're ready or feeling, feeling themselves. His rehab stint was at the major league level because that's the only level that played. So he reiterated that it's not super fair to, to judge him off that. Um, and, and I know that this is like clickbait, but he did say that, that he came in a lot stronger, a lot bigger, healthy bigger, a lot more muscle added. People say that about everybody every spring, so I'm taking it with a grain of salt. But um, it's still nice to hear. So the thing with him is just going to be his velocity. If if Michael Fulmer, he doesn't even need to, to pump 98 anymore. If he can just get back to like a solid 94 miles an hour, lower end mid-90s, just like 90, 94-ish, top out at 95 every once in a while. Uh, I think he could probably be decently effective again. Uh, sadly, it, I don't think he's ever going to go back to what he was. I, I mean, rookie of the year, all-star, you know, future ace of a, of a rotation. Uh, I, I think those days are sadly probably done, and it's completely the Tigers' fault for why he got hurt. They mismanaged the hell out of him, and I will never, ever forgive them for it. Ever. It is entirely the Tigers' fault that he is in that situation and was managed so poorly, Ausmus specifically. I will never forgive him or the organization for how poorly he was managed when he was clearly hurt. But nothing we can do about it now. We're in the situation we're in, right? Um even if, and again, it, it maybe maybe he gets to a point where he gets some of the velocity back, but he's just never going to be able to go five or six innings ever again. That's possible, and but th- there still holds value if he can come in and give you an inning or two out of the pen. That's valuable. That's really valuable to, to have a a Norris and Fulmer kind of long relief, middle relief role. I think there's value in that, and like I said, it, it's sad that he'll never be what he was, but you know, having some value is obviously way more than what he was in 2020. He was terrible in 2020. He was objectively probably the worst starting pitcher in baseball. Um, unless you include Ronnie Garcia in, in starting pitchers, but I don't even, I don't even give him that much credit to be considered a starting pitcher. Um, so I, Anything is something for him at this point. I'm really not expecting him to to really regain to to any form. Um, but that being said, if he can just get a couple miles an hour back, uh, I think there still could be a, a, a productive role for him on a major league roster, which is really all I'm banking on or, or all I'm hoping for, I should say, at this point. The last piece of news for the Detroit Tigers is that we have been in contact with rick porcello apparently they're not even close to a deal at the moment they're still pretty far off money wise um so it, it's by no means like a hey this is gonna happen get ready or a, or a this is happening um i guess they're still pretty far away but um yeah R- ricky p reunion is very much on the table um Okay. Ricky P Ricky P is not good anymore. That's just plain and simple. And to be completely honest with you, he really has never been like that. Like his Cy Young is one of the least deserving Cy Young's in the history of the sport. Um, And and that's not to say he was terrible that year. He he was a damn good pitcher. But okay, let's ju- the past is the past. Whatever. His last two seasons, he's been trash. He has not been good at pitching of baseballs the last two years. Okay. Um. That being said, I think we really really need. Another starting pitcher. Our rotation as it stands right now. The only locks are Boyd and Turnbull. And I guess Fulmer. I don't even. We're talking lock lock. Okay. Boyd and Turnbull are the only guaranteed people to be on this rotation on opening day. Likely candidates. Scooble. um, And Urena. Okay. Urena probably is is close to a lock as well but he did pitch out of the bullpen a little bit uh at the end of his as marlin's tenure so i guess there's a chance maybe but odds are pretty good he's a starter too and i i would be shocked if scuba didn't make the team out of camp so that's four mize is a toss-up mize is a toss-up he might start the season in triple a um and even if he doesn't i'm not sure anyone is really comfortable with Mize being the kind of pitcher that's going to give you 30 starts in 200 innings right now, given his injury history and his mechanics. Okay? So those, and then Fulmer, Lord knows, is definitely giving you nowhere close to those amount of innings. So with two locks, two rookies... One guy that that is probably a, a reliever that we're going to make a starter, and then Michael Fulmer, I think it's not ridiculous of me to not only want, but think it's obvious that we should have another starting pitcher on this team. And Rick Porcello is not going to get hurt, and he's going to give you a lot of innings. Are those innings going to be good, productive, positive innings? Probably not. He's not very good anymore. Okay. That being said, you can't just go out there and, and have two, three pitchers that have the ability to get past like the fourth inning. Your bullpen will be in shambles by May. We, we need another innings eater. And while Rick Porcello, the innings that he will eat will not be good. They will not be pretty he's going to go and and give you uh, innings and and at least give your bullpen a little bit more of a rest than a lot of other people probably would. Okay. So if Rick Porcello comes back, I I honestly could not care less. That's my opinion of it. I think we need another starter. We need an innings eater. He is that he is both of those things, but he's not good either. So like, whatever, Uh, you know what I mean? That's, whatever that that's fine I guess I don't really care honestly I, I don't care who it is Rick Porcello reunion does nothing for me I, I don't really give a damn the only other move we made real quick as we wrap up is Willie Peralta who signed to a 1.5 million dollar deal this is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life this is genuinely one of the worst signings I've ever seen uh, it makes no sense it never will make sense it's dumb and it's stupid, and I hate it. Willie Peralta is a reliever. Okay. Not only is he relie- a 31, a going on 32. Yeah, almost 32. He's going to be 32 this season. 32-year-old reliever that has not pitched in two years, You pay one and a half million dollars for it. There is a lot of really good relievers that are either getting paid or signed for less than that. 1.5 million dollars for a reliever that hasn't pitched in two years. Oh, and by the way, the last time he did pitch, he was garbage. He's really actually never been that good. he he has an 8 year mlb career and his bear, has his career war is barely over 1 had a damn near 6 era the last year he pitched this makes no sense if this if you want to add depth and you want to add relief depth and you want to sign this dude to a minor league deal for 500k you know what there's there's it's 500K. So, and even this, it's 1.5 mil. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But there's no way you're going to be able to convince me that 1.5 mil for Willie Peralta is worse value than 3 mil for David Dahl. Ridiculous. The, the evaluation of how much this dude is worth is criminal. It's an embarrassment to dollars. Dollar bills everywhere should be offended by this deal. Ridiculous. This organization never ceases to amaze me. All right. That's it for the Tigs. The Detroit basketball Pistons lost 102-105 to 105 to the Chicago Bulls. Um... Uh, a former, very heated rivalry, not as much these days. That being said, I still always love beating the Bulls. Um, this was a, a ridiculous game, <laughs> to be honest with you. This game was absolutely absurd. No part of this game made any sense. But at the end of the day, you look at it and you go, well... Are the Bulls championship contenders? No. All right. Well, there's a loss because the Pistons only beat title contenders. Um, again, this, this game really didn't make any sense. Uh, the defense was was not very good for half the game, but pretty solid for half the game. Um. I- <laughs> <laughs> This, this game made me laugh. This game, this was the epitome of, of, of 2021 Detroit basketball, honestly. Um, the team stats are honestly all pretty similar on both sides. Uh, the Bulls passed the ball a lot better. That's really it. The rebounds, shot percentage, defensive stats, fouls, everything was all honestly pretty equal. Um, and it was a three-point game, so that makes sense. We were winning this game pretty handily at halftime. Like by like what? 18. Pretty sure we were up 18 points at halftime. Um, yeah, 18 at half A- and we lose the first half defense was actually really, really good. And the second half defense was really, really bad. Um, as far as individual players, that's really what well we're looking at this year. We're expecting to lose with all these teams. We're really just looking at individual standouts, not really, not really team stuff, honestly. So, individual standouts. Uh, Beef went over from the field again, but had six boards and a steal. Uh, didn't get a ton of minutes; only played fifteen tonight. Um, but with with. Okafor still hurt, uh, and, and him and Plumlee really being the only two centers on the roster. Um, I'm okay with him getting 15 to 20, as long as it's a consistent 15 to 20. What I don't want is him to regress back down to like, you know, seven minutes a night or six minutes a night. I'm okay with him being the backup as long as it means he's getting 15 plus that that I'm fine with that. Dennis Smith jr. Was okay. 10 points, four of nine, uh, Svi went over for again. He seems to either be like the hottest shooter on the planet or the coldest shooter on the planet every night. Um, and it's a box, box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, Josh Jackson, first off, I really wanted him and Levine to just throw the F down, to be honest with you. That would have been sick. Um, and, and it would have re-energized re, uh, that Bulls-Pistons rivalry that's gone back for, for decades now. Um and I I just love Josh Jackson. I love Josh Jackson, man. I I love I love the the how he plays and I love that he, you know, like I said a couple episodes ago, he fears no man. He will go after anybody at any time of the day, any day of the week. Fears no one, seems to be pissing someone off every game. I love that. That's very much Detroit basketball. We love it. He had eight points, eight boards, three of nine shooting, not anything spectacular. Uh, I really want to see him. If there was ever a game that I thought Josh Jackson was going to have a great game in, it would have been this one, Um, especially with uh, in the um, Pacers game. He drove to the to the net so well. We talked about that on that episode how well he was driving to the lane and how he was attacking Miles Turner and just just no fear going after him finishing around the rim that's the game he finished with almost 30 points um i really think that that the bulls center situation is a joke their 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 interior defense just their interior in general their their center situation is really bad um especially defensively. And I, I really thought Josh Jackson would have been the one player on this team who could have taken advantage of that more than anybody else. And uh, he, he didn't really he tried to shoot, was was obsessed with the mid-range game, which um, people that are big into analytics will tell you is, is really stupid and a really stupid thing to, to do. But kind of the old school people will tell you that, that just because it's the lowest value shot doesn't mean it doesn't hold value when actually playing basketball because it opens up the drive and and the step back and stuff. So depending on who you ask, you get different responses. Regardless, that's where he went to this game. There was no water at the well. It really wasn't working for him. Um, And, and yeah, the eight, eight boards is nice for a two guard. That's damn nice. But again, that's just because again, the, the bulls center situation is horrible. So he took advantage of it in one aspect of the game, but not the offensive end. Um, that's it for the bench. I think Seku did not play. Um, send the starters. Wayne Ellington continues to, to be kind of irrelevant out there. Um, I'm really hoping he, he gets back into that, that, that fuego stage he was at a couple of weeks ago when it seemed like he, he couldn't miss because um, that makes him tradable. <laughs> And, and six points on two of seven shooting is not really tradable. So we, as Pistons fans, we really need to root for Wayne Ellington to do really well and play a lot of minutes because we need to raise his trade value. Um, Plumlee, 11 points, eight boards, five of nine shooting. He was fine. Plum, look, again, I, I've said this a couple of times. People freaked out when he got the contract because on paper, just looking at 24 mil, for um, for Mason Plumley seems a little ridiculous, but I, I said the same thing to people with the Tatis deal this weekend, the Fernando Tatis fourteen year, three hundred and forty million dollar deal. You gotta look at the AAV. You gotta look at the per year salary. That's that's what you look at. And eight million dollars for a starting center in the in given the current outlook of the NBA is fine value. It's really fine. $8 million more than fine value. Not, not, a, big, not a big salary cap hit per year. Um, people just look at overall money and, and not per year money. And it, it's really $8 million a year is really not, not anything. And he's played pretty well this year. So he's been, he's been worth it, to be honest. Um, and the Tatis deal, just real quick so happy for him. I love when players get paid in any sport. Um 24 million dollars a year though. I know 14 over 340 sounds ridiculous and you're like how on earth this dude has played 140 career games? Why on earth is is um uh, is this dude getting getting this much money? He hasn't even played a full 162 yet. Um he was the number two prospect in baseball. He was one of the best players on the planet in, in 2020 in a shortened season. And I think that um, if if he continues to play at that level, that $24 million a year, again, it's, it's ridiculous to say this, or it might seem ridiculous to say this. But there's a there's a scenario where he reaches his true ceiling and becomes like a top 10 player in baseball, and he actually regrets this deal because he's going to be making 24 mil a year. Um, when, again, if people – some people are really high on him, and if he reaches that ceiling that some people actually think is possible for him to reach, he could end up being worth 30 to 35 mil a year and only be making 24, and it could end up low-key being a bargain for the Padres. Um so again, connecting those two together, obviously, the difference of three hundred million dollars in total in total money earned. But the point remains: you to find value, you you can't look at the whole contract. You have to look at how what their production is from year to year, and and how much they're making on one year, not the full value of the contract. It's 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 very different and very easy to overvalue or undervalue someone based on looking at just their full money. You got to look per year. Got to look per year. Um, Sadiq Bay was okay. Um, this is very much a game of, of remembering that he's a rookie, right? 12.7 boards, three assists, though. Not bad by any stretch. A damn good game. Uh, I, I really want him to make all-rookie first team, at a minimum all-rookie second team, but he's, he was NBA Player of the Week last week, um, and he, he's going to get minutes now. No Blake, Sadiq Bey is gonna get hella minutes, which is awesome. We've been begging for that all year, right? Um, and now with D Rose gone too, when Killian comes back, he'll he'll have no shortage of minutes. Um, and then obviously Beef's already already getting uh, backup minutes for a position that we only have two currently on the active roster, so he's gonna get plenty of time. We finally getting to see all, all the kids play. Uh, I would still like more Seku minutes, but I'll, I'll take I'll take uh, Sidique Bay getting thirty plus a night. That that's damn nice. I've said it a million times. This dude's built for the league. His floor is is honestly probably the highest in the team and one of the highest amongst all rookies in the NBA. Truly, his floor is so high. His ceiling might not be as high as some of those, um, you know, elite like top of the top of the draft pick kind of people um like like LaMelo and all them but but his floor is damn high. It is damn high and it's damn good. Um and and he is built to play NBA basketball. He is built for the league. I love him to death. I love that he's getting he, I love that he's getting minutes. I love it. it. Makes the games a lot more enjoyable to watch even when we lose. And then the story of the evening. The Buffalo Sabres are trading Eichel. Red Wings? Wink, wink. Find out next. Um, uh, I have my phone in front of me when I record these. So any updates that like sports news that happens while I'm recording in this hour period I have for myself, um, you see my live reaction to. But the story of the game was obviously Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant, dropping a nice little 43 burger. Nice little 40 piece for your, for your Wednesday evening. 43, 2, and 0 with 15 for 25 shooting. 4 of 9 from 3. 9 of 9 from the free throw line. 1 block, 3 turnovers, 5 fouls. Had a negative 7 plus minus, which really shows you how stupid that stat is. Um, he's an all-star. He's an All-Star. The only thing that pissed me off about this game, I don't know whose fault it was. I've watched it a million times. I can't tell if it's DeLon Wright's fault or whether it's Dwayne Casey's fault. There is no reason, zero reason, for Jeremy Grant to have not taken the last shot of that game. DeLon Wright should not be taking the last shot of the game. We're down three points with five seconds left. Uh, and again, I don't know if the play was drawn up to be that way. I don't know if there was a read. I don't know if there was a look and shake. Uh, I I don't know if, or, or it could be DeLon. It could be on him. It could just be a, he wanted the shot or, or he didn't think Grant was open or he thought he had a look. I mean, he was kind of open. It's kind of fair. I don't care. Jeremy Grant had 43 points. I don't care if he's triple teamed. He's at least got to touch the ball. If he wants to pass it out, that's a different story. Jeremy Grant's got to get the shot, got to get the ball in that situation, has to. And again, not sure who who's really to blame. I'm not sitting there on the bench obviously. But somebody's to blame. <laughs> Cuz that's that's inexcusable. That should not have happened. But silver lining, Jeremy Grant Ninth in AL East All-Star voting. Should have been higher, absolutely, but we'll take ninth. We'll take it. We'll take it, all right? Um, That, I think, is it. For the Detroit Pistons, right? Let me... I think so. I think so. Okay. Jeremy Grant, like I said, finishes ninth in the all-star voting. Um, that'll do it for the Detroit Pistons. That was a weird I, – I was thinking way too hard about that. There's really not <laughs> – besides the game, there's not enough talk. about. I don't know why I, I struggled so mightily thinking there. Um, so, currently ninth. Keep voting. Whatever. Or it's the captain system now. I don't even know. Whatever. He got ninth. Uh, That's, uh, you know, should have got higher, but I'll take it. Okay. The Detroit Hockey Red Wings played the Chicago Blackhawks on, hmm, was it last night? Was that Thursday night? I feel like it was Thursday night. On oh it was Wednesday. Damn it. On Wednesday night. Uh one of the most ridiculous games I've ever watched. Uh not 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 fun. We got shut out two nothing. Uh it's fr- A, it's always frustrating losing to the Blackhawks just in general because F the Blackhawks. But it's even more frustrating when they were not supposed to be good this year. And they are 9 5 and 4, and like in the playoff picture. And we're 0 4 against them this year, which pisses me off. I hate losing to this team so much. Um, the two goals, uh, the Patrick Kane goal was just Patrick Kane being Patrick Kane. That was nasty as hell. Um, he had another nasty one earlier. Uh, that I think he air mailed wide left, but still dude still got it. Um, and then the power play goal. We we talk about how bad this power play is very often because of how terrible it is, uh, but let's not pretend like the the PK is really that great either. Cause it's not, it's not historically bad. Like the power play is, but, uh, it's still pretty tough. Um, the defense is just brutal. And and look, we we the part that pisses me off when we lose game, we won almost 70% of the face-offs of this game. And I know there's really no correlation to faceoff percentage one and wins and losses. But like when you're getting the puck after pretty much every single faceoff, when you're starting every dead possession, you're starting off with the puck. You you can't you can't look this bad you can't you can't look this bad um we outhit the hell out of them we we honestly outside of this sounds so stupid to say I almost don't even want to say it because it, it sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth but I'm gonna say it anyway besides the two goals we gave up <laughs> we actually might have outplayed them and again I know that sounds beyond stupid to say um But it's – I just – the most frustrating one, obviously, the the photo that went around of the goalie not in net and the puck on – I forget who it was, which is going to piss me off. On somebody in a winged-wheeled sweater's stick. And the goalie is not even close to in net. He's like – he's like, the picture – the caption of the picture was, how is the goalie the furthest away from the net? Because there's like a, a log jam in front of the net but no goalie. Um, and w- we didn't score. We, we posted on the right side, bounced out. They cleared it. Bada bing, bada boom. It, the – this defense is terrible, as I've said a billion times. The offense is frustrating because we are at a point where we're better than we were last year. Okay. And that's something. But we are, we're out shooting teams and losing by multiple goals. We're out shooting teams and losing four to one or four to two. Or like this one, we outshot Chicago by three and and we lost two nothing. We got shut out. And the, so the frustrating part is we're getting opportunities. This offense is getting its opportunities and, and getting its chances. And it just isn't talented enough to convert yet. And that's a, that's just a frustrating part of this rebuild. And it's like that with any rebuilding hockey team. That's just one of the lumps you have to take. That's one of the spots on the train station. You go from garbage and everything to garbage at some stuff and passable at some stuff, and and then you hit hit this, (laughs) whatever the hell you want to call this. You hit this spot that the offense is currently at where we've improved enough to where we're getting opportunities and getting looks. We're actually a respectable offensive product, but we just don't have the talent on the roster yet to put the puck in the back of the net. That's just where we're at. And that sucks. My my favorite part about this game was that the Red Wings tweeted like the the contest where like you could win memorabilia or, or or tickets or something. Probably not tickets in the middle of COVID. Um it it had to have been like like a hat or something, but they were doing a giveaway where if you if you predicted the first person to score, then you won the giveaway and then we got shut out. <laughs> Oh man. I just wonder, like I read through the comments and nobody did it before the before Puck dropped. I wonder if if you would have said right, if you would have said no one, we're getting shut out, did do they have to grant you the win? There's no way, right? There's no way they'd be like, and our winner <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. I've talked myself out of this. There's no way they'd do it. But, like, you'd have a case, right? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. um, The defense continues to be horrible. The power play continues to be horrible. The fun thing about the power play, my buddy Kevin Schuette, who, again, you should all follow on Twitter, um, big big Wings guy, pulled up this stat while we were watching the game together that the Detroit Red Wings and the Minnesota wild are currently duking it out for what is on pace to be two of the worst power play seasons in the history of hockey. If the season ended today, the red wings would have the second worst power play in the history of hockey only behind the present current day, Minnesota wild. Now there's still a lot of season left, you know, I I get that. Uh, we're we're still relatively early into this season. But it is hilarious to me that with how horrible the Red Wings power play has looked that there's a worse one out there. And the only worse one out there is the worst of all time up to this point. So, I think I tweeted after the game that it's it's kind of electric that these two teams are, are battling for worst power play of, of in the history of hockey. I think that's pretty electric, honestly. Um, so we have that to look forward to, <laughs> I guess. Um, only other two things I want to talk about with the wings. Bernier is great. This goalie situation is 10 million times better than it was last year. Bernier's playing really well still. Uh, and then Grice is, is obviously significantly better than Howard was last year. Um, Just it's it's even though neither of them are are incredible, it's really reassuring that that those two that we know for a fact we're going to have a solid B-level goalie every night. The defense is garbage. It's F-grade. Defense is horrific. The power plays terrible. The penalty kills terrible. And the offense is like a C at best. But we're not going to lose a game because of a goalie, and that's reassuring. We're going to lose a game a million other ways, and we're going to lose the game, but it's not going to be the goalie's fault. That's at least something, some, some sense of comfort. He had another amazing game. The defense just did him absolutely no favors. Um, only other thing I want to talk about, back to the offensive side of the puck real quick. The front – the the first line we ran out there was – the we didn't score so it's hard for me to like quantify it or rank it I guess but like I think the first line last game the the Larkin Mantha Zadina first line I think that was the best any line has looked all season dare I say maybe in the last two years <laughs> Um, that they look phenomenal. They gelled really well together. Zadina's almost a little too passive sometimes. The dude loves to to share the sugar, pass the puck around. Um, having Mantha on either slot is is awesome because that's that you know, he's a scorer. He's a scorer at the end of the day, and having one scorer like that along with Zadina, who's willing to shoot but also pretty pass. And again, sometimes he's even too passive. I I get mad sometimes. I think he should just let it rip sometimes. Um, take a shot every time I say sometimes, and then Larkin is obviously Larkin. He he's gonna he's gonna pass it around when needed, and also take shots. I just think that first line was the best any line has looked all year, and I really hope that Blashill keeps it together, which naturally means that he won't, because he hates fun and hates being smart and is not good at his job. All right. That's it for the Detroit Red Wings. Let's move on to the last segment, the Detroit football Lions. A couple of things. For starters, uh, yeah, we'll start with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz traded to the Indianapolis Colts for a third and a conditional second. The second is a second round pick currently, and if he starts in over 70% of his of the games, then it turns into a first. Which first off, it's mind boggling to me that someone is so injury prone and so widely considered to be injury prone that a team is willing to be like, yeah, we'll give you a first rounder if this dude can even play three quarters of his games. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's wild to me. That's wild. Um, so uh, the the reason that this pertains to the Lions, uh, a just anybody, anytime a quarterback changes teams, it, it's gonna affect your team, just regardless. Um, the Colts think clearly that they, uh, with Philip gone, that they're still a quarterback away from being competitive. So so hopefully for their sake that works out, I guess. Colts fans hate me because I said that they should all be ashamed for booing Andrew Luck off the field and for about four days straight, Colts Twitter uh passed my tweet around Um and and <laughs> and talked hell hella smack to me. Uh my DMs were flooded, my mentions were in shambles. I actually had to mute the tweet. It got so bad at one point. Not that not that I, I care what random people on the internet that have, you know, that are named T.Y. Hilton season and have a fake profile picture care or what they say about me. But um, just, I have my notifications turned on for Twitter and that was unusable. The app was unusable. So I, I had to tweet it just to give myself some sanity so my phone wasn't blowing up every two seconds all day. But yeah, for about three or four days, Colts Twitter railed me. And I, you know, I don't delete any tweet ever, unless it's like a typo or something. I don't, I don't, I don't delete tweets. So like, um, honestly, even lately typos, I've just replied to myself and just been like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Um, I I just don't delete tweets really. So, um, it's still up there and you can go look at all the, all of Colts, Twitter, literally all of Colts, Twitter, uh, put me through the ringer. For, for three or four days straight. A couple of months ago now it's probably been. Oh, maybe not that long. Maybe it's been a few weeks. But it's weird because it also happened like three days after I tweeted it. I tweeted it at like 2 a.m. one night. Where I was just reminiscing of how much I love Andrew Luck. And I was like, never forget. Actually, no. My buddy. A buddy of mine tweeted the video as a joke for a, a different joke that was not even football related of Andrew Luck getting booed off the field, and that reminded me of, like, oh, damn, I still hate them for that. And so I tweeted the video, and I said something like, you know, uh, never forget that in Andrew Luck's last game as a Colt, the Colts fans booed him off the field because of an injury. I will never forgive them for it. And there were some Colts fans that were on my side. I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like it was all bad. There were some Colts fans that were quote-tweeting it and replying and is like, embarrassed to be a fan of this team for this day. We'll never forgive our fan base for this, blah, blah, blah. And then we had people in the middle, and, and I, I can't stand those people. They're like, oh, well uh, – you know, obviously it wasn't right, but they were all just drinking alcohol. Everybody had a lot of beer in their system and they were just mad and Schefter broke the news mid game and, and they were just angry because they were drunk. You, you don't know a single person that was there, bro. You you can't just blame beer for, for being a dick like you can. I'm sorry. Um, th- this is not this is no longer like the olden days where you're just like, oh, he was messed up. It's fine. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just blame beer. Um. And then we, we most um, – at the beginning, people were on my side, and then it hit the depths of Colts Twitter, and then it kind of reversed, and it probably ended being like 60-40 with 60% being against me. I've talked about this way longer than I intended to. I didn't even have this written down on my agenda to talk about, but when I whenever I talk about the Colts, it just reminds me of that day when – Colts Twitter, uh, thought I was like scum of the earth. Um, and they were, and I, I even tweeted out, I was like, wow, it's, it's a crazy day when Colts fans are defending, uh, shitting on Andrew Luck. Um, yeah, I, I, I did not care. I, (laughs) I, I stand by everything I said and it was just a funny day. You can go back and look at all the replies, man. It, It makes me laugh how, how, uh, how mad they got and how defensive they got over that and how a lot of them still to this day, back it up. And that's mind boggling to me, but that's not our team and not what we're talking about. So Wentz is there again, third and a second. The reason that the lions were actually brought up in the national media with this is because a couple of weeks ago, it had been stated that the Eagles were looking for a Matthew Stafford Stafford. Wow, he's been off the team for a week and I can't even say his name anymore. Matthew Stafford type return for Carson Wentz. That's absurd. That was never a thing that was ever going to happen. That's laughable. Honestly, that's funny. That's genuinely hilarious to me. Um that that's stupid. The the only redeeming factor of of the Wentz deal is that after 2021, zero guaranteed dollars. Zero. It's His base salary is still 22 mil for like the next four years or five years or whatever the hell that extension was. So if he plays for him, he's still going to get uh, a damn good amount of money. Zero guaranteed dollars after 21, 2021 any season. Zero guaranteed dollars in 2022, three, four, and five. Zero. So... If he ends up sucking, you can just cut him. And no one's the wiser. Who gives a damn? He gave up a second and a third. You know. Took a chance on a guy. Whatever. You see how it plays out one year. He's still young. What? Well, why not? It's a good deal for the Colts. I really like this deal for the Colts. Um, the The Eagles... I guess it's fine. Like, again, you were never getting a Matt Stafford type return. That, that's unbelievably ignorant, honestly. Uh, that's just ignorant to think to yourself that when you go to bed at night and be like, damn, Carson Wentz is going to give me a uh, Matt Stafford type return. That's absurd to think. Um, but... So I, I guess the front office is slightly disappointed because I guess they wanted more. But, like, for those of us who live on planet Earth, and, and aren't stupid. Um, this is not that far off value wise of the return that he, he probably should have gotten a third and a second. And the second has potential to be a first. I don't think that's, that's that egregious or that, um, that, that ridiculous of a price. And, and, and it's not a, it's not a first rounder this year. It's a, you know, a couple a couple drafts from now. I, 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 I Think that it's pretty fair value for both teams. I think it absolutely makes sense for the Colts. And if that's the best offer, at the end of the day, the Eagles were never in a position where they could be like, oh, we'll just hold on to them if if we don't get the offer we want. Which limits the market. Um this is I don't know, man. This is uh I really think that this value actually kind of works out pretty well for both sides. I don't I don't think it's ridiculous for for either team. Um they at the end of the day, like I said, the Eagles had to take the best offer on the table and if that was it, then that was it. You know, he wasn't going to be your quarterback of the future clearly. So why not? Um two other news pieces we will end on. Both have to do with the wide receiver room of the Detroit Lions. First off, Marvin Jones Jr released a statement that said he wants to go somewhere to win a ring. Okay, so he's not coming back to the Lions. And that's not me making a joke of, oh, Lions can't win a ring, whatever. Um, If this was the the 2014 team or whatever, or 2011, really any time in the Caldwell era, to be honest with you, those nine and seven years, I'd be like, hey, come here. You can help us make a playoff run maybe. We're just, it's not a lion's joke. It's just the way the team is, is assembled right now. We're just not, that's just not where we're at as an organization. We are not trying to win a ring currently. I believe that we want a high draft pick next year. I don't think we're trying to win in 2021 immediately. I don't think we're retooling. I think we are rebuilding. Um, So Marvin Jones Jr. will not be back in Detroit as far as, as far as I'm concerned, when I'm thinking about possible destinations for him and and the future of this wide receiver room, I don't have him in it. Now, the other big wide receiver, the biggest with the team and deciding his future is Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay, it's being rumored more and more that he's going to get tagged. We kind of talked about this a few episodes ago tagging him makes a ton of sense it makes the most sense if you are rebuilding you can tag him and then trade him at the deadline if you just want to go into full rebuild mode you know what he's gonna want too much money we're not ready to win yet i don't want to spend that much money on a losing team see ya okay very possible there, and and to do that you would absolutely tag him. You you know, you wouldn't sign him to a multiple year deal just to trade him. You would absolutely tag him and then move him at the deadline. Or even if you think extensions in the cards, it probably makes more sense to franchise him this year, see where the team's at, and then reevaluate next offseason and be like, Okay, yeah, we do we do want to extend you. Sure. No reason to do it this year. Really. There's not. Um, and I, I think just not bringing him back would be obviously is, I don't think is an option and would be ridiculously stupid. So I think at the end of the day, while he's probably a little frustrated because everybody wants long-term security and, uh, some fans might be frustrated because we've been trying to, you know, the pay holiday thing has been going on for a while. Um, I think. Given our current status, given our, our rebuilding status, it just makes a lot more sense to just tag him and then reevaluate at the trade deadline and then reevaluate after next, after this upcoming season, next off season as well. I think it just makes, it makes way more sense to, to just tag him. Um, and, and then, like I said, we'll see where we're at going into going into next year. Um, and, and next off season. And again, we might still pay him. That's totally not out of the question and, and not something that I'm against. I just think right now we need to see where we're at as a team, see how good we really are. And, and if we're absolutely act, absolutely. If we're actually, uh, tanking or, or how good we are, if we're going to try and win, whatever, I think we just need to, to settle down, play a year out, Reevaluate next offseason I think tagging him is is why that makes the most sense all right I think that'll do it for the Detroit football lines which means that'll do it for our show thank you so much for listening yet again the numbers continue to be great I continue to to meet new people and and get opportunities that I don't think I would have had without starting this show so thank you so much for listening and keeping its head above water I appreciate the hell out of everybody that listens to it. Um, I, you know, it, it's wild. It's pretty wild that that again people. <laughs> I'm just me, and then for whatever reason, some people actually care about what I have to say, which is wild to me. So thank you very much for listening. It means the world. Um, I think that's it. Peace and love. Going to therapy is dope. yeah all four teams still suck no update there um that's all i got baby future future's bright though we hope (laughs) future's bright (laughs) go to troy sports baby peace